0: Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co founder and the CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best selling author, speaker, and podcaster. The Unconventional Leadership Podcast boldly tackles the top of mind issues leaders face daily. Through insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's worrying. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional leader. Well, welcome everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. I have the distinct honor today to be in the studio with Carol Lawrence. Carol, for all of you that know Carol, know what I'm about to say. For those that you don't, you're getting the opportunity to uh, meet her real time and experience this, but Carol is a people person in every way and is most motivated when she is helping others achieve their goals. Her love for meeting new people and helping them realize their greatness is evident in the care she provides at each and every interaction. In her role of director of executive engagement for Centennial, Carol gets to employ this passion by interacting with dozens of candidates each and every week. She actively listens to their career goals, their past experiences, providing guidance towards a job that would be most fulfilling for them. I have the opportunity to work with Carol as she's one of our leaders and in Centennial, which is the executive search firm uh, that I own and am the CEO of. So it's a distinct pleasure, Carol, to have you today in the studio.
1: Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to have a great conversation, everyone. And I hope that this prompts questions, thoughts, ideas, um, and gives you moments of reflection for those of you tuning in. So please engage with us as you hear this, feel free to reach out to both of us. Um, you can find Carol and I both fairly active on LinkedIn on any given week. So um, so Carol, some of the questions that we want to cover today, we're going to kick off here. Um, what do you believe are the keys to being a female leader in a male-dominated industry?
1: You know, I've I've done this in various careers, different lifestyles um, in my 26 years. And the f- primary thing that jumps out to me is just being authentic. You know, even though I worked in several male dominated industries as a leader, I did not have to put aside my femininity. I did not have to become one of the boys. I could still be a respected woman and lead with my intellect and my knowledge. And they, in turn, respected that. It wasn't easy at first because we're talking starting back in, you know, I was in the South in 1997. So it, it hasn't been an easy journey. But, you know, if you just are true to yourself and are just good to people and let your light shine, they, you'll win them over.
0: Mm. Carol, when you have, uh, throughout your your experience, your life experiences, your leadership experiences, what have been some of those pivotal moments for you where you found your voice and you felt that confidence of being an existing inside of the work that you do?
1: I think for me, you know, as you said, I am such a people person, even as a, a young child, I never understood stranger danger. And I just always wanted to help the underdog. So sometimes even when you don't have your voice, you find your voice to help someone else. Mm. And I think that, you know, started for me almost at a young age and still to this day, you know, I'll speak for those who are afraid to speak. Mm.
0: And being a woman in leadership and leading well, and I would say being a leader, like you're a leader of leaders, you're an individual that lights up the room, that people want to engage with. But what do you share with others as you're trying to encourage them to have that same confidence and bring that experience into the rooms that they enter into or that they're in charge of? You know, what, what is it if I'm a individual who's coming into my career or I'm pretty early to mid in my career and I still, mm-hmm. and you would notice if you sat with me that, gosh, still haven't gained the confidence that lives within inside of them. What are you sharing? How are you mentoring and developing uh, those individuals to find their voice?
1: So, you know, one of the things that we talked about, I've been in leadership development and training and development for a long time. So I've taught many leadership classes. One of, you know, the key things that, that I read and reread just to make sure I'm strong in myself is, it's a book by Jay uh, Seinfeld, Lead from the Core. And in that, he also talks, had a a newsletter about the 11 principles of unconventional leadership. Mm. And so, you know, thinking of that, which is, of course, our topic, some of the key things that stood out to me, and I'm going to refer to my notes, you know, especially for young or mid-range leaders, one of the principles is that vulnerability is a strength. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, yes, I'm your supervisor, but you've been here for 30 years. Please help me. Mm -hmm. And in that vulnerability, it lets the people that you, you know, now supervise. Well, you know, this kid doesn't know anything, but let me help out.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, that's one of the, you don't have to know everything.
0: And you find that gives people a more confidence that, oh, you are you're you mean I don't have to have an answer for everything at every given moment.
1: Exactly. One of the things that we look at, you know, when I started in one of my careers, I had to help roll out a, a nationwide program that I had no clue what it involved, but I sure. had to be the one to explain it to other people and get their buy-in. So I was very honest. I said, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. And I know you probably don't even want to entertain this idea, but help me do this. Let's figure out the kinks. If we break it, let's break it really good. But let's, let's do what we're asked. Let's try it to the best of our ability. If you find something that's wrong, because I don't know what's going to happen, just like you don't know what's going to happen. So let's, you know, you get that buy-in. Let's do this together. It's not just the leader. It's the whole team that needs to succeed.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, and your approach, which I think for those listening come alongside of the individuals that you're leading with, right, Carol? That's what you're describing that you're, you're coming alongside of those individuals saying, I'm on your same team. I'm here with you. We're going to go through this together. And if it breaks or we mess something up, great. We'll learn from it and we'll go make adjustments, right?
1: You know, I think that's part another part of the unconventional leadership, you know, as opposed to when I first started in different industries, you know, the boss kind of sat up high and then all the little workers were low. Mm-hmm. Unconventional leadership, you know, looks at us as a team. You know, I'm not going to ask anybody that I supervise to do anything that I'm not willing to do and will actively do to show them that I'm part of the team.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there other things that you feel like unconventional leadership means to you, Carol?
1: Um, Something else that I always paid attention to um, back to my team building side, just because it worked before doesn't mean it's going to work this time. Mm. You know, we are not cookie cutter people. We've learned that so much in these last couple of years. You know, I I detest the saying, well, we do it that way because we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, who's to say it's gonna work this time? So, you know, just because it worked before doesn't mean it's gonna work this time. You have Mm -hmm. to be open to different ideas. I always say strict plans kill ideas. I am a very regimented person. I am an A to B. I make plans. My plans have to-do lists, they have calendars. Yeah. But when you yeah. become that regimented, there's no wiggle room. There's no room for what if. So you have to be willing to, uh, what's the saying, the best laid plans of mice and men. You have you can have a plan, but be open for the what ifs and the what could be's. Yeah. So then you don't, you don't stop and you're not stalled, you're keep moving, mm-hmm. you'll evolve right. and do better.
0: Yeah, well, and I love what the essence of what I'm hearing from what you're sharing is that the, what you just ended on, that you're, even if things don't go as planned, you're going mm-hmm. to learn and pick up and gain new insights and perspectives yeah. that then you can carry into the next planning process, right, or the next conversation. Um, But I, you know, as obviously so many people want to, quote unquote, be perfect in their work and how they execute things that they get lost in those details. Yes. Um, Yes. So have you, as you've mentored individuals in your career and you've brought team members up and you've looked around and said, wow, they do not have the confidence to tackle what we're addressing right now. What are some other tips and guidance that you would provide to people that are sitting on a team today? where they know there's opportunity for growth in those on their team, but they don't necessarily know how to approach it? Uh, what would you give to that listening audience?
1: Uh, it's okay to not know. It's okay to try. One of the things one of my mentors told me, if you want to be lucky in life, you have to earn it. Mm. And to me, what that means is you put all of your KSAs together, all your knowledge, your skills, your ability, you know what you know. Mm -hmm. And when you apply that and people see that, that's when you become lucky because people will open doors for you. You won't go from just having people that know you, but you'll have sponsors that will want to call on you. So when you know what you know, that's when you become lucky because then people speak of you in high favor. They will say, Oh, you need help with transitioning? Call Carol. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have some positions available and you need help filling? Oh, call Centennial. Mm-hmm. Because we have put ourselves out there. We're knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. We could do this with one hand behind our back and one eye closed. Mm-hmm. But because we have the heart to do it and the love of people, that makes us lucky because mm-hmm. we get to do what we love every day. Mm-hmm.
0: So the more yeah. you know your knowledge, skills, and abilities, and the more you're confident in those, yeah. you're saying the more likely you are to receive luck because people now know your expertise yeah. and want to advocate for you and be your yeah. support and really help you rise up. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And what if I'm not confident in my skills, um, my knowledge, skills, and abilities, or what if I'm... Uh, looking at that and going, gosh, I just don't know what I'm great at.
1: I think that makes us human to struggle with that because we always want to do more, be better. One of my great mentors, I was doing a, a training development class and it had about 500 people in the room. And, you know, when it was done, I was tired from speaking for eight hours but he's, you know, he said, Carol, you did a really good job. And I was like, yeah, oh, I did okay. It was okay. I think they got the message. And he stopped me and he said, no, you made an impact. You don't know that you made an impact, but I promise you, you made an impact. You're good at what you do and you go continue to do great things. And that stopped me like just, ugh. Because oftentimes, even when we're doing something amazing, because we're so self-critical, you know, I'm that type of personality. I'm already, oh, my tone was off here. I forgot to mention this uh, paragraph. I forgot to share this example. So we're already picking apart. We don't take the time to enjoy what we've done hmm. and the impact that we might have. Even when somebody comes and tell us we made an impact we tend to, as human beings, like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks for that, but I could have been better. Mm-hmm. So you have to, even if it's something small, you know, driving on I-75 to work, I made it to work in the rain today, without an accident, celebrate it. Mm-hmm. So we have to take the time to even celebrate the small things, because when we have the big things, then we'll be comfortable to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think just our society, we don't reward ourselves.
0: Right. Yeah. We're trained for the big moments to reward ourselves versus those micro moments where we need to celebrate our successes. Definitely. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. So how do you lead by example when it comes to work-life balance and self-care, work-life integration and Um, self-care?
1: That took an evolution in itself because I'm such a hard worker. You know, I will work 24 hours, weekends, but I think that comes with time and with age. You have to make time for what's important to you. You have to, you know, and especially as a leader, if I tell the people that I supervise, you know, guys take time off, go be with your families, but they see me continuously just working hard every day, never taking a day off, never taking a vacation, then They're going to be in the mindset. Well, if that's what Carol did to get ahead, I need to do it, too. Hmm. So as a leader, sometimes you need to say to the team and, you know, be intentional. I've had enough. I'm taking the rest of the day off and I'm going to watch the ducks or the geese. I'm going to walk around downtown and see the buildings. And it might sound really weird to be that intentional. But, you know, that lets the people you supervise know that it's okay. So while I was running million dollar organizations, I would tell my team, you know what? It's two o'clock. I'm going to get my nails done. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Call me if you need me. But nails and toes, it's time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that let them know, oh, well, she's about to go do something fun for herself. Maybe it's okay for me to go to my kids event at school or I can go with my mother to her doctor's appointment. And so for that, you have to lead by example. You have to show that you care enough about the people you supervise to care for yourself.
0: Mm. Carol, what if I'm in an environment where I'm constantly afraid that doing that will, because I've also heard from so many people in my history and my past, that if I open up that kind of flexibility my workforce is going to implode. Nothing's going to get accomplished. Uh, our productivity is going to go down. We're going to become lazy. What What would you say to a leader who thinks that when they hear what you just said?
1: That That ties back to what I said earlier, that vulnerability. And if you take the time to build a strong team, then they will be comfortable and the work will flow whether you're there or not. You know, they will know these are the expectations. I'll get this done. And it's not because they think that there's going to be some type of um, discipline if they don't, but because they are as invested in the team as you are and they don't want to disappoint their leader.
0: Have you found that the uh, once you set up those expectations, in some cases, you're probably showing team members that it's OK for the first time in their career, right? Mm-hmm. Um have you found that increased commitment and relationship and connection happens because of that type of environment?
1: I would say so, you know, change is scary. And you know, when you've been in an organization or had leaders throughout your career that didn't trust you, didn't give you freedom, didn't value your opinion, and that happens, it almost feels like it's a gotcha. Like, okay, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So as the leader, you have to take the time to be genuine, to, you know, let your staff and your team know that they can trust you. Mm. And I think it, that's just built over time. If, however, someone is in, you know, that toxic situation, because I've been there myself, I've had positions where I would get physically sick before I had to go to work mm. and, you know, of course, you know, our economy, you can't just up and quit a job. I get it. But make a plan. Life is entirely too short to be miserable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. Life is entirely too short to be miserable. You heard that here with Carol Lawrence. Carol, thank you for that quote. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about multi-generational complexity. So we know that right now in today's workforce, there are more diverse generations than ever. And that brings so many different views. Just last week I was hearing that the Gen Zs. This is, I was sitting in a room and I was hearing someone share a data point and said, what do you all think of this? Which was the data point was Gen Z's do not want to be mentored by baby boomers. Um, I can't tell you if that's accurate personally, but it was just a data point from an article that was written. Mm -hmm. And it was saying it it just feels too parental or their grandparents are giving them feedback and don't understand me, right? They don't understand yeah. listening to me. They don't understand my generation. They don't understand why I'm wired this way or how I'm wired. So it's really hard to get feedback from them that there's such distance between said generations is a data point that was brought up in an article that someone was referencing in a meeting was I was in. Um, what are you... What are you experiencing with the clients you serve, the organizations you work with, the nonprofits that you're a part of, and the for-profits that you're partnering with on this multi-generational complexity topic in the workplace today?
1: So kind of two points there, Mike. So I've worked in an industry where the people that I supervise range from age 14 to 82. Mm. So you have to be able, as a leader, Tail your message based on who you're talking to. Mm. So as a leader, because I had that wide uh, age group, you know, the older generations, we would have conversations. Middle age people, the middle group, I could send them an email. The kiddos under probably 20, I would send them a text message. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And all the work got done. So you have to meet people where they are. What we're also finding now. I call it the new new hire mm-hmm. because we have young people coming into the workforce. We have older people having to come back to the workforce. And I don't think it's necessarily that Gen Z does not want to be led by the boomers or the the Xers. I think that there are systematic generational stereotypes.
0: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, You know, Gen Z thinks that the boomers are out of date and don't understand technology. Boomers or Xers think that Z is entitled and doesn't want to work hard. And I think once we get past that and take people as they are, then it's not that they don't want to hear from or get mentored by a boomer. They don't want to be told that they're a spoiled little baby whose mommy told them they could be whatever they wanted Mm. when they're really trying to do good work.
0: So the, so the understanding the individuals in the room, it's kind of, you know, there's a belief that I've had that probably when individuals who are now at the pinnacle or senior of their career, they, when they were early in their career, they probably had some of the same thoughts and expectations they did is the younger generations right that it's very yeah, much experiential? Um, yeah, we all change. I know for myself, at the stage of my career that I'm in, 20 years ago I thought very differently, and and coming through it doesn't mean that what everyone's thinking is inaccurate and, and will adjust because there are some beliefs and there's core values and things yeah. that individuals expect that will remain the same throughout their career, hopefully or will get adjusted based on experiences and knowledge that is now helping them think differently. Okay. But when you think about these, the workforce, so if I'm leading a team, I come into a team and I'm, you know, let's say the second second promotion of my career and I find myself leading a team that's very multi-generational. Let's just say that I've got, you know, six direct reports and 32 people underneath of me spread out across those six direct reports. But I'm second promotion in, so I'm moving from supervisor to manager, and now I find myself on a team with a variety of generations. What are some of the steps that I should take as a new manager to understand where everyone is and how I need to best lead this group of multi-generational workforce?
1: I would say the first thing you need to take each individual, you know, irregardless of their age or their where they are in in the world, each person is a person. Mm. As a good leader, you then learn how to tailor the message and meet that person where they are. So if it's a systematic change, the way you would deliver that message to somebody that has, and it's not just generation because, you know, I always used to tell people, well, Yes, you say that the boomers don't understand technology, but who do you think created it? <laughs> IBM didn't just start because right. your phone didn't That's magically so appear. Yeah. So it, the knowledge came from somewhere. So I think just meeting oh, wow. each person or each group where they are, this is where you are and your understanding helped me to help you to be better and to be able to make a contribution.
0: But uh, That's a really great thought that you just brought up that the technology came from somewhere.
1: Yeah. Right? It's like Some, that smartphone didn't fall out the sky. <laughs> right.
0: Somebody designed it, thought it up, yeah. created it, engineered it, built it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, what a great perspective. Um, and, and what if internal in the team, there's individuals who say like, Hey, you know, like want to give me advice as that new manager but giving me advice that that basically contradicts what you just referenced how do i communicate and bring calmness to the team and create trust amongst the individuals of here's my approach here's how i'm going to lead and here's the way we're going to treat one another in said organization
1: you know i am a strong believer in team building And getting people out of their comfort zones. Hmm. So I've been known to have team building exercises just to go over those generational differences. And, you know, no matter the age, you give anybody a little container of Play-Doh and they're going to have fun. (laughs) You know, so getting people back to that elemental thing, you give people a blank piece of paper and those good markers that smell, they're going to go to town. And so I would just bring everybody together and we would have fun. Hmm. You know, we would have competitions on who could do the work the fastest and the other teams could play tricks on them just to make it, you know, yes, we do work, we're serious about what we do, but Hmm. we can have fun too.
0: That's right. And do you find in that moment of fun, we realize how similar we really are?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the building. And then it's it's not just, you know, of course, you would want to mix the group. So it's not one age against the other, one gender against the other, what have you. And then they start to root for each other. Mm, and then powerful. when it's over, it's, you know, oh, hey, I, you, I had fun with you. You did really good at that part of whatever we were doing. Yeah. So it builds that camaraderie um, probably faster than just giving tasks and, and giving deadlines. Mm,
0: that's great. That's awesome. And Carol As we're developing cultures to invest in other people and to give them confidence and to create connectivity and connection. You know, you Mm -hmm. just offered that one of the ways to do that is to set up a completely kind of outside of, outside of doing the work to get to know one another and to build that camaraderie. Are there other things that I can do that you recommend that leaders do? To show people that I care, your career is important to me, and I'm gonna be intentional in helping you grow as an individual and human on my
1: team. I believe that real time feedback is a gift. Feedback in itself is a gift, but when you're doing something amazing, I wanna tell you right then. Hmm. You know, I'll stop you and say, I just saw what you did. Thank you for that. Hmm. Praise in public. You know, punish or correct in private. So, you know, when somebody's doing good work, you want to shout that out so everybody knows, hey, some good work is going on. Also, with that, it's important that we get to know our people. I just don't need to know what your job in the company is. I need to know, you know, not getting per- very personal, but, you know, what's your family like? You know, so that I could ask, how is Johnny's soccer tournament? And, We maybe need to donate some water or something to the kids. You know, oh, you're going to read to the seniors. How is that? So getting to know people outside of what they do, but who they are, I think is impactful. Because it lets them know that you care, not just because they're putting slot A into pole B. You're actually caring about them as a human being. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. Carol. what is the best piece of leadership leadership advice that you've received?
1: I would say probably, again, from one of my mentors, because I I think it even comes across through this video, I'm a very strong person, but I was told long ago that I don't have to be strong all the time. Mm. True leaders lead even when they aren't trying to. I could sit quietly in a room and people will still come to me and ask my opinion. So sometimes it's okay. You don't have to be shouting from the rooftop to be a leader. I can sit quietly in a room and still bleed that room. Wow. And so you have to be able to be humble. That That's key. You've got to, yes, I'm amazing, but I'm amazing because so many other people have helped me get here. I didn't do this by myself. And it's up to me to share what I know with other people as they want to move ahead.
0: In terms of favorite leadership tool that currently either you're currently utilizing to enhance your leadership or something that you have found make a great and profound impact on you in the past, whether it's a favorite tool, resource, or even a leadership book.
1: I would probably say, and you got me thinking back 26 years, Mike, (laughs) I would probably say Stephen Covey leading at the speed of trust because i think that's so key to an organization you have to start with trust you have to trust yourself you have to trust your leadership you have to trust your team your subordinates and if you start as a place of trust then you can move forward from there you know i don't i don't think anybody ever shows up for work and says today i want to be miserable and i want to figure out how to make my company fail people don't think that way so if you start with trusting them to do what they're supposed to do, you build from that. That has always sat with me. Trust people and until they show you otherwise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The comment you just made <laughs> <the> regarding <laughs> that people don't roll out of bed and deciding to actively act, uh, hurt or disengage a team right? And so if there is something like that going on, there may be something going on inside of that individual's beliefs or experiences, and it could also be an indicator. And as you've mentioned, Carol, getting to know people, coming alongside of individuals, asking how they're doing, are they okay? Is there anything that I can help you with? Even as you referenced earlier, that real-time feedback of saying, hey, here's there's something, there's a behavior that's taking place. I don't believe you think that the intention is the outcome that's actually being caused, but here's what's happening. Here's how I'm reading it. Are you aware of this? Because I want to give you the feedback as a gift so that we can help make adjustment.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Carol, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. To our listeners, we hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed the feedback and the advice and guidance and wisdom. Um, My thought is Carol will be back in the studio together. So for those listening, this will not be the first and last time to hear Carol's wisdom and this conversation. Carol, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Mike, anytime.
0: Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenging the status quo. And we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.